This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. First John 1 5. Gospel by Gaslight, an audio drama written by Branson Boykin. brick towers caught the last rays of sunlight as dusk gave way to night in the city of Rivenrath. A steam-powered train squealed to a halt near the loading platform on the outskirts of the city. The music box voice of the automaton engineer projected its pre-recorded message. Last stop at the Crossway Express. A small crowd of people stepped toward the cars, handing luggage bags to the automatons who then stored them in cargo bays. Nearly everyone on the platform was leaving Rivenraft, and very few were arriving. Patrick Maloney wiggled his way through the boxcar as he moved against the flow of the crowd. His ride above the Crossway Express was not luxurious by any means. Nevertheless, it would have taken him weeks to walk the trip that he had just taken in mere days. He shouldered his small leather satchel, picked up his shepherd's crook cane, and stepped onto the platform. At first, Patrick noticed the utter lack of light. Gas lamps lined the platform and the streets leading into the city, but not a one carried the warm yellow glow of a burning flame. The darkness of the city was strange to behold. Where was the night watchman who lit the lanterns? Why would anyone willingly leave this city in darkness when it so desperately needed light? Through the low light of night, Patrick spied a middle-aged man looking anxiously at the steam engine. The man's eyes suddenly brightened with recognition and a smile spread wide across his face. He waved vigorously and motioned toward himself. Patrick dared a glance behind and caught sight of a young woman rushing towards the man. The two embraced tenderly. Oh, thank the stars you made it in time. Come now, we must hurry. Patrick idly watched as the reunited pair left the platform and stepped onto the streets leading deeper into the city. In the dark, he could barely make out the retreating forms. Stepping closer, he saw them hiring a cab nearby. Patrick turned to head towards what he assumed would be the heart of the city. His mind was full of thoughts and things he needed to accomplish during his time here. He managed to take two steps before a still, small voice spoke to him. Go with them. Patrick stopped where he stood, bowed his head, and listened. He had long ago learned that when he sensed this voice speaking, it did him well to stop and listen. He immediately turned and jogged towards the cab. The driver shoveled coal into the small boiler engine fitted between the two wheels of his velocipede. He finished his work with haste and stepped over the steam-powered bike. A hissing noise sounded as the pistons on the back wheel started to pump. Patrick waved his cane in the air to the driver. Please, please, I want no trouble. Let me go. Trouble? No, I'm not looking for trouble. Just a ride to the hotel and perhaps a place to get some nosh if I can. 
Inside the cab, the man from before leaned out the window and stared wide-eyed at him. Hotel? Sir, are you new to this city? Well, me ma'am certainly never hailed from here, and what little I know of me dad, he didn't frequent here either. So, yeah, I'm new to the city. The young woman grabbed her father's arm and mouthed something to him. He hesitated, giving a look to the now star-studded black sky, as if in response to his thoughts, the driver yelped, The sun has set. We have to leave. Now! One more passenger. Get in, sir, quickly. Thank you, good sir. Grandly appreciate it. As soon as Patrick climbed into the cab, the driver immediately kicked his velocipede into gear, and the small steam engine sputtered to life. The cab careened down the road, shifting left and right. Inside the cab, Patrick tipped his flat cap to the man and his daughter. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Patrick Maloney. At your service. Jonathan Beckwith, and this is my daughter, Eve. I'm pleased to make your acquaintance. So, why are you here, Mr. Maloney? What sane reason could you possibly have for coming to Rivenrath? Doing the Lord's work. The cart suddenly skidded to a halt. A line of men stood across the street, blocking the path of the cab. They all wore simple shirts and trousers that draped like curtains over their wiry frames. Tan coats hung from their bony shoulders. Their skin was pallid white, and each of them had heads shaved clean of any sense of hair. Familiars? The familiar closest to the cab pointed the business end of a wooden bat to the driver. After sunset, Gov. It's past your curfew, I should say. Please, it was my fault. I was going to be off the street in time. It just, they, they picked up another rider. I had to wait and I... Oh, shut your mule and kitten. Nobody wants to hear it. The familiar made his way around to the cab and looked inside. He pointed the bat at Jonathan. Now, seeing as this cabbie is just trying to make a decent living, I'm going to forgive this lapse in judgment. As for you, Tree, well, you might as well say this whole thing's your fault. Price to pass this way at night is going to be 300 shiners. Jonathan reached into his coat pocket and pulled out a small coin bag. The metallic currency inside clinked as he offered it to the familiar. I don't have 300 rubin on me, only about 250. I know it's not the full amount, but it's more than a fair price for the passage of a cabbie and three patrons. This should be enough to let us pass. <laughs> no, God. That's 300 room in each, 900 for the lot you. Jonathan stepped out of the cab, keeping his hands raised so as not to appear a threat. Sir, please, let's be reasonable here. My daughter just arrived from studying abroad. There were delays that made her train arrive here hours later than it should have. Had it arrived on time, you would be getting nothing from us. Now we have every intention of going straight to our flat without causing any trouble for you. All we ask is that you take the amount offered. The nightmarish man fixed his gaze on Eve, who met his stare with an obstinate one of her own. A sneering grin spread across his face. Tell you what, perhaps we can strike a deal. My lady Soldati's been needing some fresh meat. She's been feeding fine off the cattle we scrounge up, but she's got a hankering for a nice piece of young tender to keep us satiated. Let us have the girl, and you can go scot-free. No, no, you can't have her. 
Ha! You hear that, gents? This bloke thinks he can tell us no. With lightning speed, the familiar cracked open Jonathan's skull with his bat, sending him spiraling to the ground. He stood over the fallen man and pressed his foot on Jonathan's spine. Listen here, Gov. We take your sweet little daughter away with us, and whether or not you live long enough to miss us completely up to you. Sorry, they're traveling with me tonight. Patrick stepped out of the cab, casually twirling the shepherd's crook cane in his hand and making it dance through his fingers. He stepped slowly, deliberately towards the familiar, making sure the attention of everyone was on him. He reached down and helped Jonathan stand up. Go sit with your child, Mr. Beckwith. As Jonathan made his way back to the cab, the familiar sauntered toward Patrick, swaying back and forth like a cobra charming its prey. Well, you've got a big mouth for a man who's all alone. Oh, but I'm never alone, lad. Christ himself said, Lo, I am with you, even until the end of the age. Oh, seems like we've got one of those religious types, gents. Sorry to disappoint, Gov, but you're nothing new. We brought in a preacher just this last week. Signora Soldati said he tasted like rotted beef and sweat. Maybe you'll taste better, methinks. Patrick bowed his head and touched his shepherd crook to his forehead. Dear Lord, came here to the city in faith in your holy trust you now to keep me in your mighty right hand. Prayers? I haven't even touched you, but I plan on doing a lot more than that, though. He raised his bat and swung it toward Patrick's knee. There was a loud crack as the bat struck Patrick's cane, which appeared by his leg with lightning speed. The familiar stared in shock for a moment. He raised his bat again and aimed for Patrick's head. The cane moved again, blocking the strike and sending another crack echoing out. What? Ow! You're not even moving. Something you ought to learn about the Lord. He's a good shepherd, and no one threatens to harm his flock without regretting it. Now please, have your hooligans step aside so we can pass. Why, you cheeky little... The familiar's words were cut off as Patrick's cane struck his face, sending his head spinning. His body followed and toppled to the ground. Blood spurted from his busted lip and broken nose. He lies still on the cobblestone streets, unconscious. Patrick stood over his fallen enemy, pointing his cane at the group of familiars still blocking the road. I think your friend is going to be taking a nap for a while. It's late in the night, lads. It would do you all a bit of good to go home and rest. You need to be ending up face down in the street with this gouger. One of the other familiars stepped forward. Yeah, well, there's more of us than you. We can take you. You just watched me take down the bravest and, by my estimate, the strongest of you without so much of breaking a sweat. I've got gold on me side. All you've got are numbers. And historically speaking, I'm still the one with an advantage. Let us pass. The group glanced at each other wondering how a single man could sound so ominous. Now! Patrick's voice echoed through the streets. In the cacophony, the familiar scattered. Within seconds, the street was empty again. Patrick moved the unconscious leader off to the side of the street and returned to the cart. He regarded the driver with the tip of his hat. I I think you'll find the rest of your journey more pleasant, sir. If you'd be so kind as to get this man and his daughter home, I'd appreciate that. 
They've had quite an evening and need to be home soon. No arguments here. Eve quickly put her head out the window of the cab. What about you? Don't you worry yourself about me. The Lord provides. I find my own way about tonight. Papa? Say something. No, you're right, my dear. Mr. Maloney, you have saved us. I cannot let that go ignored. Please come with us to our flat. You can stay the night with us, and whatever business you have, you can do in the relative safety of daylight tomorrow. I simply will not accept anything less. Well, I'd appreciate that, but... Mr. Maloney, please. <sighs> well, the good Lord provides who am I to deny him? Thank you for your kind offer, Mr. Beckwith. I humbly accept. Patrick climbed back into the cab. As it rolled forward, movement on the street caught Patrick's attention. He glanced over to see a figure draped in shadow pacing into the street. For a moment, the deep hollow sockets where eyes should have been glowed an eerie green color. The mouth curled up into a snarl. Patrick gripped his cane tight and rose slightly out of his seat. A street lamp momentarily blocked the creature from view. Once the lamp was out of the way, the creature was gone. Mr. Maloney, is everything all right? Sorry. I think I'm starting to see things. Patrick kept the grip on his cane firm for the rest of the ride. The following morning in the Beckwith flat, Jonathan, Eve, and Patrick were joined by Mrs. Armina Beckwith at the table as servant automatron served breakfast. Patrick sipped on his coffee and chewed on the toast and jam, while Eve regaled her parents with tales of traveling abroad and the things that she had learned. Once the meal was finished and conversation lulled, Patrick thanked the Beckwith for their hospitality and expressed his desire to meet with them again soon. Eve responded with disappointment. Won't you be staying longer with us, Mr. Maloney? You may call me Patrick, please, and as much as it would be a pleasure to stay, I have my work to complete. Staying somewhere as nice as this can tend to make a man used to the role like myself. Uh, lazy. But you have to stay somewhere, and there isn't a hotel in this city that will give you a safe room for a reasonable price. Tell her, Mama. She's not wrong, Mr. Maloney, uh, or Patrick. Besides, you brought my husband and my daughter home safe to me. It's the least we could do. Indeed. Please, Patrick, give me the dignity of repaying the kindness you have shown us. One night's lodging doesn't begin to cover the debt I owe you. There's no debt to be owed. I simply did what was right. Well, all right. For a wee bit, at least. Excellent. Then you can come with me to the market. I've got so much to show you. Eve, watch yourself. The market isn't a playground. It can be just as dangerous in the daylight if you're not careful. And just because Patrick is staying with us doesn't mean he's become your pet to follow you around. He may have his own errands to tend to. Actually, I'd be needing to familiarize myself with the city. A short walk to the market might help with that. It would also allow me to get to see the city in the daylight, at least. I wish I could say that you'd find it a happier place than you did last night, but that isn't always the case. I would also appreciate Eve having company. I don't like her going off by herself in this city. 
Ugh, if you had your way, I would never leave home again. <laughs> They're just being good parents. Let me fetch me cane and we'll be right off. The two walked and talked excitedly as they made their way to the market. More Eve than Patrick, but he didn't mind. Upon arrival, they spied near the edge of the marketplace a well-dressed man standing on a small wooden box. He cried out in a voice that rose and fell like that of a trained orator. I feel a craft tell you that the monsters who rule over us are nothing more than beneficiaries of our blood, sweat, and tears. They sit in their thrones in their towers and reign from on high, feeding off us like we're cattle for their appetites. But power like that is not theirs alone to wield. We can have that power too. Together, we can take what is rightfully ours. All we need is this. Our souls who are brave enough to stand and fight, to give themselves for the good of the cause. We can rid of these monsters forever. Who will come? Who will stand with me? Who is that lass? Some local preacher? What he's preaching ain't the gospel of Christ. The Lord was never one to be concerned with all that much power. Well, at least it's something. The people of this city are tired of the current state of things. They want to enact real change, to do something constructive for once. The way this man is talking, it sounds like a real sickener. Uh, you know, a bit more destructive. Well, sometimes you have to break down what's there to build something better. Aye, but sometimes it's the foundation that needs changing, or all that rebuilding in the world won't do any good. I don't doubt the man's heart, at least not at the moment, but his rhetorical is questionable. Well, I do believe you had some shopping to get to. Let's be about it then. Eve grinned and crossed the street to enter the small store across the way. Patrick moved to follow her, but not before giving this Philip Kraft one more look. Their eyes met momentarily. Kraft's eyes flashed a bright green. The skin around them turned black and decayed. Tendrils of darkness slithered out of his mouth like black adders seeking prey. What in God's name? Something made impact with Patrick from behind. He and it, whatever it was, fell to the ground. Immediately, Patrick jumped to his feet and readied his cane. His eyes fell on a slightly overweight man struggling to stand up. A small paper wrap box lay on its side on the street with the end torn open. Oranges were rolling about as they spilled from the box. The man on the ground had some colorful language to share with Patrick in that moment. Patrick looked back at Philip Kraft. The man was finishing his speech and shaking hands with the few whom had listened to his entire presentation. There was no sign of decaying flesh, black tendrils, or green eyes. Patrick blinked twice and assumed the stress of being in a new city was starting to get to him. He knelt by the man and helped him to stand apologizing profusely. Once all the apologies were said that could be, Patrick followed Eve into the store. 
Inside the store was a room with shelves overflowing with old books of all kinds. The space smelled of old leather and paper. Eve breathed deep and a large grin spread across her face. She clapped her hands in a small outburst of excitement and immediately began thumbing through the books on the nearest shelf. Patrick suppressed a smile, not wanting to make Eve self-conscious. He casually strode through the labyrinth of shelves, taking in titles and not looking for anything specific. He slowly made his way to the back of the store. Against the back wall, a man seeming to be the storekeeper stood behind the counter and nervously chatted with two other men who had their backs to the front of the store. The brown coats hanging off their wiry frames looked just like the attire worn by the familiars Patrick had encountered the last night. Sirs, I beg of you, I've already paid my tributes this week. I simply have nothing left to give. Anything more and I will not be able to stay in business. I have been loyal. I have been faithful with my tributes. I have caused no harm to Signora Soldati. Please do not ask me to pay yet another tribute. One of the men reached into his coat and withdrew a stiletto blade. He plunged the knife into the wooden counter and twisted the point until it dug a hole in the wood. If what you say is true, then you know good and well how important fateful tributes are. Don't you want to set an example for the other businessmen, enjoying my lady's protection? Eve, carrying a stack of books like newly found treasure, strode up to where Patrick stood. As she saw the scene taking place, she gave a shudder and spoke to Patrick in a low whisper. Again? Do these creatures ever stop? What's all this, Eve? What does the good storekeeper owe these men money? What tribute are they talking about? Remember the men from last night? The familiars? Aye. They're enforcers. Basically, they make sure what Signora Soldati's orders is followed. They're really nothing more than errand boys, but everyone fears them because of whom they serve. It's sickening, honestly. And who exactly is the Signora Sorate? I heard her name thrown around last night, too. She... well, she somewhat runs things for this section of the city. Nothing really happens without her causing it, or at least giving her assent for it. I see. And by whose authority does she operate like this? Oh, her own. Papa thinks she has someone higher to whom she answers, but her wretched influence is all anyone ever feels. Hmm. I'm thinking we might need a slight shift in the way of doing things. I'm sorely tempted to go get that craft fellow outside and give him a chance to act on what he preaches. There's no need, Eve. The cavalry has already arrived. Patrick bowed his head and touched the shepherd's crook to his forehead. Oh Lord, my God, you brought me here to do your work. I'm here to preach the good news. If it be your will, I'd like to bring some good news to the storekeeper today. In your holy name, amen. Patrick tread forward, loudly dropping the rubber end of his cane on the wooden floor. As he drew closer, the conversation ceased. Excuse me. I'm looking for an edition of the Bible printed roughly a hundred years ago. Pictures of God's wrath on sinful man, that sort of thing. You have anything like that here? The storekeeper stood motionless as beads of sweat poured down his face. He stuttered his response with wide eyes. 
no, no, nothing that old here. Try somewhere else. Are you sure about that? Would you mind if I take a look? Better yet, why don't you help me look? One of the familiars looked back at Patrick over its shoulder. He's busy with something important. Whatever you want, it can wait until we're finished. Hey, that cane, I, I think it's... The lead familiar narrowed his eyes at Patrick and straightened his hunched spine. He pulled the stiletto blade from the countertop and twirled the thin knife between his fingers. So, you're the one who managed to scare off a whole pack of my brothers. I'm disappointed. To hear them describe you, I expected something more... dangerous. I'm sorry to disappoint, but it wasn't me who scared off your Muppets. It's God who works through me. I'm just a tool. Well, God should have chosen a different line of work for you, then. Senora Soldati is none too pleased with you. Huh. Well, I'm not really worried about her approval. And if it's by her authority you're harassing this poor storekeeper, then she and I need to have a sit-down soon. Oh, no, pal. When Senora Soldati has a meeting with someone, it's not a sit-down. Those who meet her face-to-face -face always start by kneeling. Then she might be disappointed to meet me, as there is only one I bow to. And I can guarantee it ain't her. The familiar flipped the knife in his hand and held the point at Patrick. He swayed back and forth like a snake charming its prey. His wide grin exposed all of his yellowed, uneven teeth. There was a wild look in his eyes. I wonder what you taste like. Uh, yeah. I get it. I think you're intimidating. But honestly, you're just a nuisance. The both that you better leave now, while leaving is still your decision to make. <laughs> Suddenly, the familiar shrieked and lunged forward, thrusting the point of his knife toward Patrick's abdomen. Patrick flipped his cane and swept upwards, catching the familiar's wrist in his shepherd's crook. He pulled the blade hand harmlessly to the side and struck the familiar's nose with his palm. The familiar's head snapped back. Blood ran from his nostrils. He leaned back, taking two steps backwards before he toppled over, smacking hard against the wooden floor. Patrick gripped the familiar by his shirt and hoisted him up. He hooked the familiar's neck in the shepherd's crook and with a firm grasp on the collar, pulled in opposite directions. The familiar choked against the hard wood pressing against his windpipe. His hands clawed at the wooden crook, but to no avail. His face turned from pallid white to blood red in a matter of seconds, and then it took on a slightly purple shade. Patrick glared at the remaining familiar. You there! Go tell that scanger that her tribute from this store has been cancelled effective immediately. The other familiar snarled in response, but obeyed nonetheless. His wiry frame shot through the front door and into the streets. Patrick turned back to his captive. Keep in mind what happened here today before you decide to collect any more protection payments with her holy show. I don't take that kind of people being taken advantage of. Do you understand? You hear me? I'll take that as a yes. Patrick reversed the hook on his captive's throat and pulled him towards the front door. 
With a twist of his hips, he flung the familiar out into the busy street. The terrified enforcer face-planted onto the cobblestone road. He scrambled to stand and ran as fast as he could from the storefront. The people of the street stared in wonder for a moment, but soon went back to their lives unaffected. Inside, Patrick returned to the storekeeper. A thousand pardons for interfering with your morning, good sir. No, no, that was amazing. I never knew anyone could stand up to them, much less win a fight against them. You know, they're not going to take that laying down. You've made some powerful enemies today, friend. I can handle anything they throw at me. All the same, it might do you well to not draw attention to yourself for a good while. Duly noted. Now, if you don't mind, the young lass I'm here with had originally intended to shop around a bit. We best be getting back at it. Have a glorious day, friend. The familiar trembled as he poised himself before his lady, who glared at him with eyes that cut straight to his soul. She perched on her chair at the head of a long oak wood table, sipping a dark red liquid from a chalice. He wondered how long it would be before he was the one supplying the liquid for that chalice. The thought made him shudder. The woman, known to the citizens of Rivenrath as Senora Soldati, narrowed her eyes at the trembling man. I see. And then what did you do? I, that is, well, I came here. When did this happen? This, this morning? The chalice went flying across the room, shattering against the far wall and splattering red liquid. Soldati bolted to her feet with such force that her chair back slammed against the floor. You mean to tell me that you have been waiting at my home for an entire day just to report that you ran away? She struck the oak wood table with her black-nailed manicured hands, sending a crack through the wood that split the table in two. The cacophony of furniture's destruction brought the familiar to his knees. Please, please, senora. I didn't know that what, what to do. He's, he's different than, than everyone else. Different? Different how? He just wasn't afraid of us. Most guys, when they see us, even, even when they try to stand to, up to us, you can smell the fear on them, but not, not him. He stood there against us, and he, he wasn't even afraid, not even a little. He looked at us like, like we were nothing more than schoolyard bullies picking on, on kids for, for their candy. An appropriate simile, it seems. So Dolly grabbed her servant by the throat and hoisted him up, dangling him over the floor. Every man has a weakness. We only need to find his. Follow him. Learn where he lives, who he associates with, and the points of pressure we can apply. Do not fail me again. Do you understand? The familiar bobbled his head up and down rapidly. Saldati released her grip and allowed the familiar to tumble to the floor. He stayed on the ground, not wanting to challenge her regal position. I cannot have descent like this in my district. Nikolai will not be pleased. This must be dealt with quickly. Her eyes turned down to the groveling familiar. Why are you still here? Go, Go now. now! 
The familiar scampered away on all fours like a dog running from the scolding of its master. He was eager to do the will of his lady and never to feel her wrath again. Gospel by Gaslight will return after these messages. At the Cellcast Podcast, we review animated movies and TV shows because, let's face it, you don't have to be a kid to like this stuff. Now, we're not exactly professional reviewers. In fact, the exciting commentary you get on this film is a lot like this. Or, or, uh, someone's holding the phone up to the microphone so they can record it. I am a unicorn, and I must be looking for all my friends who have all gone away. And I will find the red bull, and I shall kill him. I do not feel love or regret because I am a unicorn. So if you want context for some of those lines, you should go check out the Cellcast at cellcast.podbean.com or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded from. That is Cell spelled C-E-L. And uh, we'll catch you in the next frame. We now return to Gospel by Gaslight. Patrick peered over his shoulder again. All day he had the distinct impression that he was being watched. Something in his spirit was upset, bothered. He had felt this way for a couple of days, ever since he dealt with the familiars in the bookstore. He had yet, however, to see them anywhere since that day. The overall attitude of the populace was that this was normal. Familiars occasionally came out in the day, but they ultimately wanted to earn their place in the city's dark but not-so-secret aristocracy. As such, they preferred the night, much like their masters, and were more of a threat then. Patrick lamented the state of the city. If the Lord was going to make a movement in Rivenrath, then these monsters would be the first thing that needed dealing with. Find anything interesting? Patrick turned to see a familiar face wreathed in brown ringlets and an innocent smile that brought joy to any room. Several things, but nothing worth spending my few shiners on. Besides, buying things isn't the point of these outings. It's getting to know the city and its people. Well, you certainly got to know that bookstore owner the other day. I doubt he'll ever forget you. <laughs> well, I had intended to make an impact when I came here, but not that kind of one. I was thinking something more spiritual and less violent. Well, at least you did something. Those creatures have been a problem in this city for as long as I can remember. Every night, we were always indoors by sunset, and we never ventured out for any reason. Papa had even discussed programming the automated servants to act as sentries during the night, but Mama wouldn't let him buy the guns. She was afraid the purchase would attract unwanted attention, not to mention the amount of effort it would take someone to reprogram the gears. Yeah, that's a fair point for your Mum, though I understand Jonathan's desire to protect his family. I can't say I'd do anything different. But that's exactly the problem. He never did. No one ever does anything. Everyone always thinks of how to make our locks better and our walls thicker. No one ever thinks about getting rid of the central problem. Careful, Eve. 
They're starting to sound like your man over there screaming about power and sacrifice from the other day. Guilty as charged. I saw nothing wrong in what he had to say. In fact, I think he might just be onto something. I mean, look at you. You're not afraid to take action when it's needed. I, I can go around if need be. I'm just not sure that's always the best way to settle things. Again, Patrick felt the hairs on his neck rise up. He stared back into the streets behind him. He still saw nothing. He breathed deep and tried to push the worry out of his mind. The city has me jumpy. I'll need to get over that if the good Lord is going to have any use for me. Eve looked at one of the vendor's wares and then said she was going to head home. Patrick offered to walk her there. He had more things that he needed to do, but they could wait for now. Besides, given how he had been feeling, he didn't want Eve to walk home alone. As the two climbed the flight of stairs to the Beckwith flat, they were stunned to see the door broken and hanging off its hinges. <coughs> Eve screamed and ran into the flat, Patrick close behind her. Inside was a scene of carnage. Tables and lamps lay on the floor, splintered and shattered. Pieces of automated servants laid scattered all over in heaps of gears, decorative brass, springs, and splintered wood. Mama! Papa! Where are you? A groaning came from behind the sofa. Eve searched and found her mother lying on the floor. Blood trickled from the wound on her forehead. Eve knelt by her and helped her slowly sit up. Patrick reached into his satchel and pulled out a strip of cloth. He eased up to Armina and gently wiped the blood away. Right, here you go. Looks to be just a scratch. Can you tell me what happened here? Is Jonathan home? Armina shook her head slowly. Her body rocked back as her sense of balance left her. Eve caught her and helped her to sit back up. Careful, Mama. Is Papa home? No, no, uh, they took him. He, uh, oh God, they took him. They took him away. There was a fight and they hit him and took him away. They took him. They took him. They took him. Eve tried to get her mother's attention, but panic had already set in. They were losing her to the fear in her mind. Eve focused on Patrick with pleading eyes. Patrick took Armina's hands in his. Armina, Armina, wait. Please, look into me eyes. No, no, they took him. They took him away. Armina! I'm going to get him back. I promise you that. I just need to know who took him and where they went. It was, it was them, the, the familiars. They came here looking for you. Jonathan tried to lock them out, even told the automated servants to make a barrier. They just broke through. Jonathan tried to fight, but they hit him hard. He's gone. My husband got taken away by those monsters, and now he's gone. Eve tried to comfort her mother, though tears were flowing from her worried eyes as well. Patrick made sure that Eve had Armina well taken care of and that a neighbor was keeping watch for them. He picked up his cane and walked back out into the streets in front of the flat. He stood out in the open waiting as the sun finally fell below the horizon. Almost immediately, the sensation he was being watched returned. Patrick held out his hands and called out to the dark streets around him. I know you're out there. 
I know you've been following me all day. You have my attention now. Slowly, groups of familiars came out from their hiding places. Within minutes, he was surrounded on all sides. One familiar stepped forward. Patrick recognized him as one from the bookstore. Where is Mr. Beckwith? All in due time. First, our lady would like the word with you. Oh, I'm sure she does. But I'm not here to play ye games. Tell me where Mr. Beckwith is right now. You're not really in the position to. Before another word could be spoken, the shepherd's crook in Patrick's hand went flying and struck the familiar right in the forehead. He dropped to the ground unconscious. Patrick bent over and picked up his cane. I hate it when people talk too much. I ask again, where's Mr. Beckwith? Another of the familiars stepped forward. He's at Senora Soldati's home. He's safe for now. The only way he stays that way is if you come with us. Patrick's eyes narrowed. He bowed his head and prayed. Heavenly Father, I never meant to bring any type of harm upon this family that's been so good to me and has taken me in. I aim to rectify the pain that's been cast upon them. I ask now for your strength. I ask for your guidance as I do so. To your precious holy name do I pray. Amen. All right now. Take me to him. The trek to Soldati's house was short. The home was a decadent and luxurious place with stone columns at the front of the house and Italian architecture spread throughout. Patrick walked into a large open room, what he assumed to be a ballroom for fancy dinners and other gatherings. At the head of the room was a long red carpet spread with a very gothic ornate chair set up. Jonathan Beckwith knelt at the throne, chained and bent over. He looked disheveled and beaten. Hang in there, mate. We'll have your home soon. I wouldn't make promises you can't keep. Soldati walked into the room from the doorway behind the chair. She wore a black dress that sparkled like the night sky, and her black lips and nails matched her hair and overall demeanor, a stark contrast to her pale skin. She sat upon the chair with all the elegance of a king cobra about to strike. Patrick gave her a short bow. Good evening. I'm saddened that our introductions are under such circumstances. I'm here to formally request of you Mr. Beckwith's freedom, and that he should suffer no consequences from you on account of me. Please let him go. <laughs> formally request? Well, I'm not in such a mood that I would want to grant your request. <laughs> the request was just a polite formality. You see... The good Lord told me Jonathan Beckwith will be walking out of here a free man. And I thoroughly intend to see that happen. What makes you think for one second I would just let you walk out of here? Oh no. I wouldn't presume to think that, but I do think you appreciate a challenge when you're offered one. I'd like to make you a wager, if you're interested. I'm listening. Are you familiar with the story of Elijah? 
I haven't the time to waste on fairy tales. No, not a fairy tale. It's actual history. His story tells of a contest between his god and the god that his queen worshipped. Mean-looking beast like the stuff of nightmares. The rules of the contest were actually quite simple. Whichever god that, when called upon, sent on fire to consume a sacrifice would be declared the winner and worthy of the nation's worship. My god won that day. And this is relevant to us now? What I propose is a similar showdown. Your power against me faith. Whoever wins gets to decide what happens to Mr. Beckwith. And the terms of victory? Survival. Whoever survives the fight wins. That's simple. You can't be serious. A mere mortal against the likes of me? If a prophet cannot do a queen, I feel grand about me chances against you. Hmm. Very well. This should be tantalizing. I have worried about the rules, if you don't mind. Yes? We fight alone. No help from the familiars. Whether you win or lose, you do so by your own hand. The same goes for me. So be it. Pay attention, everyone. No one is to interfere. I and I alone may attack the missionary. Is that clear? Yes, yes mistress. mistress. Very well, then. Begin. As soon as she spoke, Soldati took to the air. Her sparkling black dress melted into leathery exterior that spread behind her back. Fur sprouted all around on her body. Her nose turned upward and her ears grew pointed and extended high above the crown on her head. In mere seconds, she transformed from an aristocratic woman into a giant bat. Patrick picked up his shepherd's crook cane and readied himself. He found the balance between his two feet and focused his eyes on his adversary. The giant bat spread its wings and flapped, lifting it into the air. The ceiling was high enough that the creature had plenty of room to maneuver. It circled high above and dove straight for Patrick. Patrick stood his ground, measuring. The bat bulleted towards him, fangs bared and clawed hands wide. He waited, counted, timed, and then he dropped. The bat soared over him just as his back hit the ground. The giant form tumbled forward, rolled on the ground, and smashed into one of the columns. Chunks of plaster fell from the ceiling. Patrick stood, inspecting himself and dusting plaster off of his shoulders. He seemed to be unharmed. The giant bat stood, shrieking its rage. It moved towards Patrick, fangs out. Suddenly, it noticed something protruding from its chest. The upper half of the shepherd's crook cane jutted out. The bottom half was enveloped by its body. Blood poured from the wound. Patrick held up his hand and displayed a rubber tip that normally covered the now very sharp end of his cane. A wooden stake to the heart, if I remember correctly. I suppose this means I win. The bat roared and tried to move, but it simply fell to the ground. Its body crumbled to dust as the last of its dying shrieks faded. 
The familiars now stared in disbelief as Patrick retrieved the cane from the pile of dust and replaced the rubber tip on the bottom. He walked over to Jonathan and untied his bonds. Come on, Jonathan. We best be leaving her. The two men made their way towards the door at the end of the ballroom. One of the familiars called out. Wait. Patrick turned back to regard him. You know this won't change anything. Nicola will just send someone else to replace her. All you did was trade one ruler for another. You know, that may be. But this way, I'm taking my friend home. You saw how easily I dealt with your mistress. You might want to consider that before you decide to take on another one. Once outside, Jonathan raced in the direction of his flat, but he stopped immediately when he realized Patrick wasn't following him. Aren't you coming? I'm sorry, I'm afraid not. I knew when I came here, planning to do what I will do, that there would be some risks involved. I accepted them. It was my choice to make, my decision to be obedient to God, and that will bring whatever blessings or hardships it does. But ye didn't make that choice. Your relationship with the Lord, whatever it may be, is something that will carry its own burdens. It'll be complicated enough without having a house guest attracting attention. I think it's best for me to find my own place to live. Somewhere that, if, heaven forbid, another creature tries something like this, there won't be anyone to kidnap. I still see you as often as I can, but... I need to try and direct danger away from you and your family. Eve won't be happy about this. Aye. She's a strong one. But she'll be fine. Please give my regards to her and the missus. Jonathan gave his word to do just that and ran back towards his flat. Patrick turned and walked down the street towards the heart of the city. His eyes once again fell on the unlit lanterns. The one nearest him had a lighting pole leaning against it. Reaching into his satchel, he pulled out a small book of matches and, with some material, lit the end of the pole. He walked down the streets of Rivenrath, lighting gas lanterns as he walked. The city has been in darkness long enough. I think it's time to bring in some light. Philip Kraft watched the fire in the fireplace as it consumed the logs. The dance of the flame mesmerized him. He found himself attracted to the entropy of it. Order reduced to heat and chaos. He wondered what it would be like to have that kind of power. Philip. He sat up with a start. It was the voice again. It was calling him. He knew what he had to do. He hurriedly gathered a writing quill and an inkwell and placed them on his desk. He reached underneath his bed and pulled out an ancient leather tome. Dynamite vanity. He reverently placed the book on the desk and took his seat before it. The tanned hide that made the cover of the book had strange symbols etched into the leather. It was adorned with inlaid emeralds that twinkled in the firelight. One of the emeralds was set in a design stitched on the cover to look like the eye of a bull. 
For a moment, Philip felt as though the image of the bull was actually gazing on him. It was both terrifying and thrilling. Philip feverishly opened the book to a blank page, ignoring all the scratchings and scrawlings that had come on the pages before. He dipped his quill into the inkwell, breathed deep, and waited. In a few short moments, his vision took on a green tint, then slowly turned dark until Philip was completely blind. He felt a sensation as though he were floating in water. The cabin that surrounded him was gone and replaced with an infinite ink blackness that was void of all things material. In the distance, he could barely pinpoint two green points of light, so faint that at first he was not sure they were real. Slowly, the two points moved closer. In moments, the pinpoints of light were like two green lanterns giving off light in every direction. Philip noticed that those green orbs began to resemble eyes. In the eerie light, he could start to discern a brow, a forehead, and a jawline. Two long black tendrils grew from behind the green orbs and curled until they resembled ram horns. A gaping mouth opened wide and molten lava poured from the opening. Philip felt himself floating towards the gargantuan face. He grew nearer and nearer to the green eyes that beckoned him. He reached out to embrace the light that called to him. Suddenly, a sharp pain stabbed into his left hand. Immediately, he cried out. His right hand instinctively gripped where his left hand was injured. He rocked back and forth, gripping his left hand, and noticed the puncture wound. Philip looked around his table for the moment. His quill was back in its holder. A red liquid dripped off the pen and collected in a small pool on the table. Philip had no memory of what had just transpired or even how long this episode had lasted. All he had to remember the trance by was his wounded hand and new strange writings in the book. As he wrapped the piece of cloth around the puncture wound, Philip gazed at his handiwork done while he was in the trance. Most humans wouldn't understand the symbols written on the page, but he had long ago become a student of things forgotten. These symbols meant everything to him. The sacrifice is here, it read. The time is now. The name signed was an ancient name, the name of the one who promised him power, the name of his master. Philip laughed with enraptured joy and contemplated what was to come next. Rivenrath was sitting at the dawn of a new era, and he would be the one to usher it in. You have been listening to Gospel by Gaslight, featuring the voice talents of Bobby Boykin, Branson Boykin, Kevin Burnham, John Haryu, Celeste Mora, Dallas Mora, Drew Dodgen, and the Voices of the Village. Please rate this podcast on whatever platforms you use to listen so that other listeners may find our podcast and join our community. Thank you for listening. Go and be the light.